Well, we see, we see people epically failing all the time, don't we? Um, people trying to jump over cars and kind of failing. Um, Sarah was talking about our car experience. Actually, our car experience was an epic fail. We should have, um, should have learned how to add up well. We actually sold a car uh, that I pretty much wrote off uh, a couple of years ago. There's a, a photo of it I think we've got. Um, hopefully, yeah. A, a photo I, I kind of ran down the back of someone on Christmas Day. It was an epic fail. And then I was like, it's a 2005, you know, Honda Civic, had 130,000 Ks or something, so pretty low mileage, but I just chucked it up on Gumtree for 500 bucks. And then my phone was just buzzing. It was, it was just frothing, like that was the most popular I've ever been, and I just went like that. I'm like, man, epic fail. I could have got at least a grand for that. If only I knew how to add up well. And then, and then I tried to buy another car, and I bought a car three times the price that had it's got paint peeling off. I don't have a photo of it, but just out in the car park, the red, the red Mazda. It's nothing very exciting, but it was an epic fail. And we, we fail all the time at all kinds of stuff, don't we? Uh, we see epic fails. But what about when it's big? What about when it's significant? What about when we fail in a relationship? What about if we fail at school? And not just like a subject, but like we totally flunk out of school altogether. What about if we fail with stuff with our folks? What about if we fail with thinking about ourself, with our self-esteem? Well, the big question I'm going to look at tonight is, how do we not fail at life? How do we not fail at life? Here's a quote by one of my favorite pastors, Francis Chan. He says, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding, in, succeeding at things in life that really don't matter. So what good is it in life if we're good at a whole bunch of things that don't really count? So I'm going to pray, and we're going to look at that question tonight. How do we not fail at life? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, that your word hasn't failed us. Thank you so much that you speak to us through your word, and I pray uh, tonight that I can be clear. I pray for us as we listen to your word. May you speak uh, through your word, and I pray that all of us, we can leave here confident, knowing what it's like not to fail, knowing that you actually have the key, the secret, Lord, to not failing at life. And I pray for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so this term, uh, we're looking at 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy, it's kind of a pretty short letter. We're going to kick that off kind of next week. Um, it's one of the shortest letters in the Bible. But um, what I thought we'd do, just to kind of kick things off, though, is actually get, in the life, get a bit of a look into the life of, of Paul, who wrote that. He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament, about half the New Testament. And um, 2 Timothy kind of looks at kind of the end of Paul's life. It's probably, probably his last letter he wrote. And he's kind of talking about how to finish off the Christian life well and get really keen for that. I'm really excited to, to, um, to be going through it together. But as we look at the passage that Holly just read, we get a glimpse into the life of Paul. We get a glimpse into who this guy is. And so we're going to look at what he says about how not to fail at life. And so I'm going to, I'm going to show us three things. They all start with A, so hopefully easy to remember. There's three things, three things we need to do. We need to be, actually, to not fail at life. We need to be accountants, athletes, and aliens. Accountants, athletes, and aliens. Sounds pretty random, but let's, let's get stuck into it. The first one, to, to not fail at life, we need to be an accountant. Hands up, who wants to be an accountant after school? Yeah, not, not too many, not too many. My mate Justin, actually, who was an accountant, he was in the paper um, a few years ago. They did a study and they found accountants were actually the most eligible bachelors in Sydney. But, but basically what they just mean is that there are that, that, that more people are single as an accountant. That's kind of what they're saying, that, that accountants can't find girls. Um, well, actually, accountants are really important. 
Accountants are really important because what do they do? They count. That's good. They count. And so it's really important uh, in business in the world that you count. You know, you need to count how much, you know, how much money you've got, how you know, valuable a company is, a house, whatever. Things are they're really important, really important jobs, accountants. But Paul says, actually, we need to be a spiritual accountant. We need to actually count the cost of stuff in our life. Check out um, who Paul is, actually, just in a little bit just before we just read. Open up your Bibles to Philippians 3. Um, because Paul, if anyone's impressive before God, if anyone's got stuff they can count before God, it's, it's Paul. Check out his resume. Uh, this is, uh, I'm going to read from verse 4. Philippians 3, verse 4. He says, If someone else thinks they've got reasons to put their confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul, he had this epic resume that he could bring before God. He was a guy that looked really, really impressive. If anyone can go up to God and show what, it, what they've done, surely it's this guy, Paul, he was circumcised on the eighth day. We looked at what circumcision is on fat. Hopefully you guys know. He got the snip like a good Jewish boy. On the eighth day, he followed God's commands, even from a baby. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, which if you know, um, the Old Testament, Benjamin was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, kind of um, one of the favorite sons. The first king came from Benjamin. Um, he, was, he described himself as the Hebrew of Hebrews. I heard a guy say it's kind of the dude of dudes, the bro of bros. He's, like, he's the guy. He's the, the guy you want to be. He was part of the Pharisees, which sometimes we kind of like to bag out. But these were the legit crew. These guys were the guys that knew the Bible really well, better than anyone. They followed all the rules. This guy is kind of head prefect material. He had zeal. He had passion. I wonder who the most passionate Christian that you know is. Maybe it's your leader. Maybe it's someone that brought you here to youth. Maybe it's someone who sings up the front. Who's the most passionate Christian you know? This guy, Paul, he was more zealous than that. He was so passionate, in fact, so passionate about following God that he was persecuting Christians because he thought they were part of this cult that kind of worshipped this Jesus dude instead of God. And he went around locking them up and even, even killing them. It was crazy. Righteousness based upon the law, faultless. This guy, he kept all the rules. It's like a perfect goalie. Nothing got past him. We read in Galatians 1 that he was ahead of his classmates in studying the Bible. He studied under this Jewish dude called Galileo, who was probably the best teacher going around at the time. Kind of like studying under Einstein, you know, science under Einstein or Stricko's dad. Like just, just crazy. Like he, he studied under the best. This guy, Paul, he ticked all the boxes. I mean, I don't know if you ever looked around and um, seen someone around you and been like, yeah, of course, if anyone's going to go to heaven, like, of course, it's that guy. Of course, it's that girl. I mean, they, they just get everything right. I've never seen them stuff up. This is Paul. And so if anyone, if anyone's got a resume they can bring before God, it's got to be Paul. But check out what he says in verse 7. He says, Whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. We're thinking about, as an accountant, what does he say? Whatever was gains, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That's crazy. He rips up the resume. All those achievements, all the things he could stick up on the fridge, up on the mantelpiece, all these things, he now considers loss. He chucks them out. See, we can't impress God. 
Remember, there's only one thing. There's only one thing we can bring to heaven. What's that? The only thing we can bring to heaven is people. We, can only, we can't bring our stuff to, to God. Check out verse 8. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. See, Paul, he considers not just his spiritual resume, but everything a loss. His money, his job, his status, maybe some sweet waves he caught on the Red Sea, you know, that mad selfie he took up from the view at Mount Sinai, you know, reaching you know, quite ancient warfare level 50, all these things he now considers loss. The slides didn't work. That's cool. Um, it would have been more impressive if they were there. Um, but, but as an accountant, right, you know, all these things Paul considers loss. As an accountant, what you do is you weigh up costs or not. And so you decide whether you're going to do something. You know, you try to figure out how valuable this thing is. And am I going to do that? You know, this car that, you know, Jacob was looking at, you know, is it really worth 20 bucks? Am I really prepared to put that offer down? That's what you do as an accountant. You kind of weigh up things. And so what are we meant to do? Well... We do this stuff all the time, right? I mean, you know, I've got three bucks in my wallet. I could go and buy a milkshake or I could save it for a boost juice tomorrow. Like, what am I going to do? We're constantly making decisions. But what's Paul done? How's his accounting? Well, check out what he's given up. He's given up his position in society, his money, his job. You know, um, he's in jail. He's got no wife, physical health. All these things Paul's given up. This is a real guy in history one of the most famous people in history, he's given up all these things. All these things. How much are these things worth, you reckon? Now, I'm, I'm no accountant. I actually failed accounting at uni. Um, but I just put some random numbers to these things. I mean, how much things? Paul, back in you know, ancient Israel, maybe had a million bucks in current day. He was a pretty rich guy. Uh, his job, he had a pretty good job you know, before he became a Christian. Let's say he was on 200 grand. 25 years, that's 5 million bucks. Is how much, how do you value your rep? It's pretty hard to value your rep, but Paul was kind of part of the inner circle, the Pharisees, his crew. Let's call that a million bucks. His health, I don't know how you value your health. Some people do, but that's, that's a million bucks. He's in jail, and he's got no wife as well, which actually might even save him money, having no wife. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You can ask Sarah about that later. No. Um, Maybe plus or minus, not sure, not sure. No, it's definitely, a wife is an awesome thing to have. The Bible actually says, he who has a wife finds a good thing. So I want to affirm that. But wives, they, they do cost money. So anyway, who's good at maths? Who can add up all them for me? Who can add up all that? Yep. 10 million, yep. Yeah, depending on the plus or minus, 8 to 10 million. 8 to 10 million bucks. That's what Paul's giving up based on Mike's dodgy accounting. This is pretty crazy. Paul, he's given up a significant amount and how much does he value all these things? What does it say? He says, I consider them all a loss for the sake of Christ. He considers all these things a loss. That's crazy. And check out verse 8. He says, I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. He considers them junk. All these things that he's achieved, he considers them junk. And actually, the word in the Bible is a bit stronger than that. If someone's got an old school translation, it might say dung, manure, poo. And if I was, if I was, if juniors were here, I probably wouldn't say this word, but you guys can handle it because this is the, you know, I consider all these things crap. Like that's what that's what Paul's saying. All these achievements, all these achievements, he considers crap. Like that's a strong word, but I use it because Paul wants to get across this point. 
But all these things, all the achievements that he has in life, he considers junk. And so why? Why does he give up all these things? Because of what he gains. See, as an accountant, you don't just kind of spend money unless you gain something. So what does he gain? Check out verse 8. He gains knowing Christ. Gains knowing Christ. That's not like, oh yeah, I know about this Jesus guy. I've kind of heard of this Jesus guy. No, no, no. He knows Christ as his saviour, as his friend, as his redeemer, as his older brother. And how much is that worth? How much is it worth knowing Christ? Infinity. Infinity. It's hard to draw infinity, but um, you know, that's infinity, the, the eight on its side. or That's a Google up there, one with a hundred zeros. That's a lot of money. <laughs> knowing Christ has infinite worth. Knowing Christ has infinite work. Do you guys believe that? Do you guys believe that actually knowing Christ is the most valuable thing that you can have here on earth? Or are you kind of clinging to your resume? Are you clinging to the things on the fridge? Are you clinging to your friends, your relationships, your achievements, your bank account, your job, your car? Knowing Christ is of infinite value. And so what, what, what might that mean for us? I mean, what are the things that we can boast in? I mean, like Paul, he had a bunch of stuff to boast in. I mean, maybe you boast in your school, where you came from, your family, you come from a Christian family, or how much you know about the Bible, or your reputation, or how good-looking your, your boyfriend or girlfriend is, your marks at school, your likes on Instagram. And we kind of boast subtly, don't we, as Aussies? We don't often stick our head up, you know, tall poppy syndrome. We, we kind of boast by just, you know, standing back and, and looking down on people, just knowing that, yeah, I've made it. What are you boasting in? What are you boasting in? Sometimes I ask you guys how you became Christians, and sometimes you say, well, I've always been a Christian, and that might be true. It might be true, but just because you came from a Christian family, it doesn't make you a Christian. You know, just because I live in a garage, it doesn't make me a car. Like, it's, you know, that's not how it works. Some pastor's kids I know, they're not Christian. They've walked away from the faith. They're not trusting in Jesus. They don't consider Christ of infinite value. Do you guys know Jesus? Not know about him because you've heard about him at youth or at school or whatever. But do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Is he your older brother? Is he your Lord? How much do you value Jesus? That's the accountant. The second thing we need to be is an athlete. So to not fail at life, we need to be an athlete. Well, probably the, the greatest athlete of this century is probably Usain Bolt. Maybe it could be Michael Phelps' argument there. But Usain, check out this quote by him. He says, don't think about the start of the race, think about the ending. I mean, Usain, he trains hard, he, work, you know, he, he gives his life up to running because he knows what it's going to be like when he crosses that finish line and he breaks the world record. Paul, he gets it as well. When he's writing this, he's probably in jail in jail for being a Christian. In jail because the world hated Christians back then, as they do now. And so, he's, he's had to give up a whole bunch of stuff. But check out what it says in verse 12. It says, Paul says, Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of what Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
He's pressing on towards his goal. He realized that Jesus saved him. Jesus took hold of him and physically picked him up when he was rebelling, actually trying to kill Christians. He's, took, he's been saved by Jesus, and yet he's got this life, this race to run, like an athlete. He's pressing on towards this goal. And so what is this goal? Well, verse 14, check it out. He says, he presses on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's the goal of the Christian life, winning the prize, that we get to go to heaven. That we get to meet the God of the universe and be with God's people forever. That our sins are forgiven. How good is that going to be? It's going to be epic. When I was in, when I was in high school, I used to row. And um, it was pretty, like, pretty physically exerting sport. Uh, but the, the big event at the end of the year was this thing called the Head of the River, where we used to row where they had the Olympics and at this place called Sydney International Regatta Centre. And there were 10,000 people would come down because the, the, you know, kind of, the whole school would go down. You'd have heaps of people, 10,000 people. But the course was over a 2K length. And so 10,000 people sounds like heaps, but actually over 2Ks, it's actually not that many. But they, the cool thing was that they all stayed at the, kind of near the finish line. And so you'd kind of row, and it goes for about six minutes. And if you've ever done something hard for six minutes, been on an erg, it's, it's pretty hectic. And so you're smashed. Halfway through the race, you just bug it, and you're, you're trying to, thinking about, you know, don't give up, don't give up. But then suddenly, as you kind of move towards the end of the race, you start to hear the crowd. And when you start to hear the crowd, you know the finish line is coming up. The crowd, the adrenaline, that kind of gets you home, because you know how good it will be when you cross that finish line. You've given it all. And you're spent. See, that's what it's like for us. We run hard in this life. Paul runs hard in this life because he knows how good it's going to be when he crosses that finish line. How good it's going to be when he gets to heaven. Can you imagine like, how good it's going to be when we're faced with millions and millions of people from everywhere from in the Pacific Islands to Zimbabwe to Mongolia to North Korea to Spain. There's going to be people like everywhere. It's going to be insane. Just cheering praises. And do you know who else is going to be cheering praises? The God of the universe. Check out this verse in Zephaniah 3.17. God will be there at the finish line for us. It says, the Lord God, sorry, he, Lord your God, is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he'll no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So this is a promise to God's people. The God of the universe on that finish line is going to rejoice over us with singing. We sung earlier tonight. I mean, Aramis, she's got a really good voice. But like God of the universe who invented music, imagine what his voice would be like. I can't even, I can't even fathom what it'll look like. I mean, that's going to be the ultimate pump up, isn't it? This is the finish line. This is what we have to look forward to as Christians. So how do we train as athletes? How do we live knowing that this is the finish line? Check out verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. See, like an athlete, like Usain Bolt, he's got perspective. He's focused on the finish line. You know, He's not worried about what his old life was like before he was a Christian. He's been saved from that. And all these things, all these achievements, he knows that they can't get him, into, get him into heaven. He knows that he's saved by grace. He's saved from a work of religious righteousness. He's forgiven. 
He's been, he, and his sins have been forgiven. He's, I mean, as good as he thought he was, he was actually killing Christians, which is pretty incredible. And he's been forgiven. His sins have been smashed by Jesus. He's got this whole new life. And so he's running, pressing on, not looking back at his old life, but just being thankful that he's got a new life to move towards. But it's not as though the Christian life is a sprint or even like a marathon race where we just kind of you know, keep moving forward at a consistent pace. I mean, you guys, that, that if, you know you, if you've been Christians for a while, you know that it can be really hard. You know that sometimes you know, obstacles, challenges face us. You know, it can kind of be like, you know, has anyone ever done those, or even at Fat last year, the obstacle course, where you're kind of crawling through mud, and it's just really hard, and you've got to work real hard, work together. That's kind of like the race that the Christian life is. It's more like a, a mud obstacle course than just a flat sprint or a marathon. There we go. <laughs> yeah, there's the slide. Yeah, it's, that's, what, that's what the Christian life's like. You know, sometimes you're crawling, sometimes you get stuck, sometimes you just need someone to help you up. And so what do we do? Verse 15. All of us who are mature should take a view of such things. See, if we're a Christian tonight, this is the view we should take. We should see ourselves as athletes. We see ourselves in this race, moving towards the finish line, heaven, where our sins will be no more, where Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's the view we should take. So we need to keep on pressing, crawling on, thinking about the end. And so finally, how do we not fail at life? Well, we're saying we need to be accountants, athletes. We need to be aliens. <laughs> the third thing we need to do is be aliens. Check out verse 20. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. So we don't belong here on earth. If you're a Christian, you don't belong on the central coast. You ever thought about that? You don't even belong in Australia. You're a refugee. You're like a boat person that happened to be stuck here on asylum for a bit. I wonder if you ever realized that. Do you see yourself as a refugee? I mean, most people don't. Here's how Paul describes many people who are unaware of this in verse 18. He says, For as I've often told you before and tell you now with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. See, many people... They live as enemies of the cross of Christ, and it doesn't end well for them. Check out verse 19. It says, their destiny is destruction. Many people, the Bible says, are going to go to hell. They're going to be destroyed. And this is incredibly sad. Paul even says he's writing with tears. You can almost kind of see them on the page. He's writing from jail, weeping over people he knows that aren't living for Jesus, that aren't trusting in him. Many people live as enemies. That's not to say that this isn't just talking about those who are going around bombing churches or anything like that. No, no, no. These people, what does it say about these people? We'll keep reading in verse 19. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So it's people that have their mind set on earthly things. People that aren't living or that aren't realizing that they're aliens. People that are stuck here, trying to please themselves, feed themselves, have sex, party, get drunk. Their glory is in their shame because they're just trusting in the things of this world. 
rather than in Jesus. See, people on the Central Coast, often we're more just concerned about chilling out in cafes or on the beach, trying to look good, you know, trying to pick up at a party. I mean, this is just your typical coasty life. But if we're Christians, we're meant to live as aliens. We're meant to live different to how the world is living. We're foreigners. Imagine for a moment you've just finished your HSC, right? How good is that going to feel? You've just finished your final exam. I mean, but then the teacher, for some reason, there's some sort of glitch, and the teacher's like, you just need to come back for one day. It's kind of this administration day. You'd be pretty bummed, but you're like, okay, I'm going to come along. I've finished all my exams. But then imagine, right, the teacher says, all right, I just want you to do this, like, test. You know, just a, a take-home test tonight. I mean, how would you feel? You'd be like, what? I've just, I've just finished, you know, HSC. I've studied for 12 years for this, and you're making me do this test. I don't belong here. You'd feel gutted because you don't belong at school anymore. You belong at the next stage of life, at uni, at TAFE, working, out of that place. Your citizenship's no longer at school. You're done. And so what's the point? In, like, why would you be motivated to, to kind of study, to work hard for some dumb test when you'd already finished everything? That's the same perspective that we should have as Christians. So the biggest test in life has actually been completed. It's actually been smashed with straight A's. The biggest test in life is how do I get to God? And there's only one way that that can happen, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through trusting in Him. See, Paul, with all his accolades, he couldn't get to God. He couldn't climb the ladder to get to God. Lots of people are trying. Pretty much every religion out there, apart from Christianity, says we need to get to God by doing stuff. But no, no, Jesus, he's passed that test for us. See, only he was able to live a perfect life. And yet he died a death that we all deserve so that we can be friends with God. See, Jesus, he's passed the test. See, the Bible, it's kind of a bit like a maths book. The answers are at the end. Like, when you're stuck, you know, you're stuck in maths, you're trying to figure out what the answer is, you just go to the back sometimes. The answers are at the end. The answers are Jesus. How do we not fail at life? We get to Jesus. We look to Jesus. See, the Bible says that without Jesus, none of us are good enough for God. So check out this verse. It should pop up on the screen. It's very familiar for you guys. It says there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. See, no one is good enough to pass that test. Everyone deserves to fail at life. Everyone does fail at life. Except for one man, Jesus. And so friends, tonight, if we want to win at life... We need to look to Jesus because he's already done it for us. Verse 20, back in uh, Philippians 3, says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and so we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to live as aliens, you know, meaning that we're waiting for our Savior to come. You know, It's like we're waiting around in a detention center, waiting for our visas to get processed, and we know there's a certain hope. Have you guys realized that Jesus is your Savior? Are you living a life as an alien, waiting for Him to come? 
Have you genuinely put your trust in Jesus, recognizing that you can't get to God on your own? Friends, here's what we have waiting for us. Verse 21. It says, By that power that enables us to bring in everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. Guys, that same power that's bringing everything under Jesus is going to be transforming our bodies. Our lame bodies that get sick, we're unhappy with, they get old, saggy, wrinkly, they get cancer, that wither away and eventually die. That's everyone's bodies in this room. Our bodies are going to be transformed by the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Our bodies are going to be transformed if we trust in Jesus. Do you guys believe that? Do you want that? Do you want a transformed body? Are you keen for that? Or are you kind of stuck in this world, living for this life, with your hope here? Is your mind on earthly things? Or is your mind set in heaven as an alien, thinking about the future, thinking about the hope that we have where home is? So what might it look like for us to live as aliens this week? Well, some of us here, we're, we're struggling. You guys know who you are. Some of us here, we've, we've got hard things in our life. Mental health, depression, anxiety, guilt, shame, fear, loss, loneliness. If that's you, as an alien, our home, our home is not here. Guys, we've got a better home to, to look forward to. See, Jesus, as I said before, he's going to come and wipe away every tear from our eyes. The Bible says heaven's going to be a place where there'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more crying. Do you believe that? Do you realize that Jesus has come to bring us, to free us from this world? But many of us here, we're caught up in just drifting along into the good things of this life. And if you guys were on fat, a lot of us were. Has the fat hype died down? I said in the last talk that there was going to be a danger in leaving fat, going back to reality. How's that been for you? We're in a spiritual battle. We need to be hearing from God's Word. We don't just say, read the Bible because it's our little hobby horse. Read the Bible because this is the God of the universe who speaks to us. And we pray. We get to talk to Him. We get to ask Him for stuff. He's our dad who's, who's reigning, who runs the universe. How good's that? Is there something in your life that you need to stop? Something in this world that you need to stop? Maybe it's porn. Maybe it's Instagram. Maybe it's pursuing that relationship. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's unhealthy food addiction. Is there something that you need to stop? Something you need help with? Is there something in your life that you need to restart? I mean, maybe you've never done the daily reading notes before. Why not this term? Make it the first term you give it a crack. They're not that hard. It just takes a little bit of discipline, but it's so good just getting into God's Word each day. I mean, maybe you don't pray. Maybe you just pray when your chips are down. Can I encourage you? Just thank God. Maybe at the end of the day, thank God for all the good stuff He's done for you. You know, when you have a meal, thank God for what He's done. Guys, we also need each other. We say come to G-teams. Not, not, again, it's not a hobby horse. It's because as Christians, life's like a mud race. We need each other to pick each other up, carry each other, to pray for each other, 
to be accountants into each other's lives, to point out areas where we're valuing things above Jesus and remind each other that we're aliens living for a new world. And Jesus is going to come and he's making all things new. See, God, he treasures us so much that even though he has his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who he also treasures, he gave him up so that we could be friends with him, so that we can have eternal life with him. Do you know Christ? How about I pray? Dear Heavenly Father, like Paul, we want to know Christ. Yes, and we want to know the power of his resurrection. And Lord, this world, it often seems so enticing. It seems so good. It promises so much. And yet, Lord, we know it delivers so little. Father, help us to be reminded of the truth from your word. Help us to live as an accountant, realizing that even the best things in this world won't stack up for a second of eternity with you. Lord, help us to live as athletes, realizing that we're in a struggle, we're in a race. Help us to press on, looking forward towards that goal, which is salvation of our souls. And Lord, help us to live as aliens, Lord, not putting our identity, our hope, our trust in this world, but remembering we've got so much more that we've been made for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.